Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Left side, Swanson to first. Braves and baseball talk, straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for a nice chat about what's going on in the Atlanta Braves as we continue our countdown to spring training, and we are just over a couple of weeks away now. We are closer by the day, and there's a lot of Braves news for us to break down on this episode. Corey McCartney is going to join me to talk all about the many sights and sounds of Braves Fan Fest. There was also some news in the front office, some news in the manager's office, and we're going to get to all that on this episode of the show. Before we get started, I want to remind you to subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Grant McCauley. You can find Corey at Corey J. McCartney. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end. I'm over on Instagram at Grant McCauley, the show at From the Diamond. Also, you can like the show on Facebook. Just search for From the Diamond. And for links to all those things, FromTheDiamond.com is the place for that. I'm going to get to Corey McCartney in just a minute, but I thought I'd run through a couple of Braves headlines that have gone down over the last, what, 24 or so hours. We'll start with the news in the Braves' front office where the VP of Scouting, Dana Brown, was announced as the new general manager of the Houston Astros. Now, I think it goes without saying for any executive looking to climb the ladder that the opportunity to sit in that GM seat is a tantalizing one. So first and foremost, congratulations to Dana Brown. Well earned. When you think about how the Braves have built their club and really built their farm system that has helped the Major League Club have more sustained success over the last few years, Dana Brown has played an integral part in that. As far as draft classes are concerned and prospects that have been brought into the system, we saw two of them finish one and two in the Rookie of the Year Award last year in Michael Harris II and Spencer Strider. Throw in the late-season debut of Vaughn Grissom, and that's another player who could be a big part of Atlanta's future. And then there were the prospects that were used to bring over Atlanta's new first baseman, Matt Olson, because all of the prospects who were drafted by Atlanta in that trade, not Christian Pache, who was an international signing, but all of the drafted players and prospects that went to Oakland, headlined by Shea Langoliers, these were all guys who were Dana Brown draft classes. So you can see that Atlanta's minor league system has been able to bear some fruit at the big league level and go get a middle-of-the-order bat to help the Braves continue to win. So Dana Brown will, in fact, be the new general manager of the Houston Astros. That was making headlines on Thursday. But on Friday, the Braves announced another extension. And no, it wasn't a member of the 26-man roster this time. Instead, it was manager Brian Snitker. Now, Snit took over in 2016 after the firing of Freddy Gonzalez as Braves were hopelessly mired in what felt like a rebuild that could go on for a while. That was, in fact, not the story, though, for the Braves, who won the NL East in 2018 and have won it for five years in a row. And we know it's all culminated with the 2021 World Series championship team, Brian Snitker, an indelible part of what has made the Braves so good over the past, what, five or six years, and someone they want to continue to contribute to the winning culture of this club and the goal of winning more World Series over the next three years. The Braves giving Brian Snitker a contract extension. It runs through the 2025 season. 
We all know what the Braves have done under Brian Snitker. We all saw what they were able to do in 2022. Everyone wishes it could have gone a little bit further, but I think it was just further proof that this is a club that does, in fact, know how to win and is going to be a contender for World Series championships for years to come. Down 10.5 games in the standings in late May to the Mets, the Braves ended up winning the National League East. Unfortunately, an early exit in the playoffs was the final chapter last year, but I think just based on what I heard from a lot of different members of the Atlanta Braves at FanFest, that has done nothing but motivate them to get up and get out and win the National League East again and get into the playoffs and make another deep run through October. With that in mind, I want to welcome Corey McCartney into the show. He, of course, is the author of Tales from the Braves Dugout. He's got an exciting updated edition of that coming out very soon, so there'll be more details on that. And, of course, Corey is a regular here on From the Diamond. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. Well, Corey, you and I were both out at Truist Park this past weekend, which, of course, was Braves Fan Fest, the first one they've been able to hold since 2020. So I know a lot of people were very excited to be out there. And among the very excited parties that were at Truist Park on that day, a whole bunch of members of the 2023 Atlanta Braves. So let's recap and reflect on all we heard because I think that uh, some of our friends out there might still be transcribing just how many interviews we (laughs) were doing on that Saturday. Man, it was a lot, right? I mean, it felt like at the end of the day, it's like, how are you going to figure out what to do with all this? Because, I mean, it was just it was just a revolving door, right? It was just guy after guy after guy mm-hmm. walking in. And it was, uh, I, I mean, I don't know that I remember them doing Braze Fest quite like that, where it just felt like it was just nonstop with the amount of people coming in. But, man, it was it was fantastic getting the insights that we did ahead of this 2023 season. Yeah, and you and I have covered the Braves for a long time, and we've been to some fan fest where, you know, it was very small, and they would just kind of bring a couple of guys in. They'd speak for four or five yeah. minutes. Maybe they'd break off and do a couple of one-on-one interviews. But more or less, it was kind of, uh, well, we'll get who we can get. This was a, a fully scheduled and and very in-depth uh, Q&A that all of these guys were doing. I think nine or ten players in total. It was quite a bit, that's for sure. And there was lots of talk, as you would imagine, about the departure of Dansby Swanson. So let's go ahead and start there because we, I think, asked a lot of members of this Braves club what it means in terms of the leadership standpoint. Everybody to a man was complimentary about what Swanson did in his time in Atlanta, both on the field and off the field, you know, behind the scenes. But it didn't sound, Corey, like there was going to be any shortage of voices to speak up on the field or in that clubhouse heading into 2023. And I think if you go back to the postseason uh, press conferences from a year ago, and I, I think of the one with Travis Darno and Dansby Swanson, I uh-huh. think you kind of got the sense then of the way that Travis Darno has grown as a leader. And I think he mentioned how much he's learned from Dansby as a leader, even though Dansby's you know younger than him. I think sure. you saw the impact, and certainly you know he picked up on some things. I don't think it, it, there's going to be one uh, you know. There's, there's not going to be any missing leadership whatsoever on this team. And I also found it interesting when you think about Vaughn Grissom, and, and he mentioned, you know, he's still talking with Dansby Swanson. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll still reach mm-hmm. out to him if he has questions about stuff. So I think his imprint's going to still be on this team, even though he's going to be playing his ball in Wrigley Field. And real quick, because we will get to Vaughn Grissom a little bit more later, because, of course, that's one of the big stories heading into spring training. And you and I have spent basically all weekend, uh, all weekend, well, well, that all weekend, but we spent all winter <laughs> long talking about Vaughn Grissom and shortstop or Dansby Swanson's return or what will the Braves do? And at this point, I feel like we know who our guy is as far as starting the uh, spring training adventure at shortstop and figuring out what comes after Dansby Swanson. But I think it's really fascinating. It speaks to kind of the, the teammate that Dansby Swanson is, the person that he is, that he has no problem at all just maintaining that relationship with Vaughn Grissom, despite the fact that Dansby's a Chicago Cub and Vaughn Grissom's looking to really establish himself at the position that Dansby called home in his literal home in his backyard for the last six or seven years. 
And I think too, it speaks to the fact that, you know, he was a guy that was mentoring him last year. Mm -hmm. I think as you, you know, obviously Dansby's, you know, kind of, he's run the gambit in his career, right? He's been that guy that everyone expected to come up and make an impact. He's been a guy who, you know, found his way to becoming, you know, a viable major league player. And then, you know, ultimately an all-star and a gold glove winner. So I think it speaks a lot to the fact that he's been down that road. He knows what it takes to get there and for him to, you know, to want to give, you know, a guy that, you know, even, even if he was going to come back, I think, you know, you still look at it and say, I'm only going to be here for X amount of years. They've got this guy as a potential future at shortstop, mm-hmm. uh, helping out somebody that, you know, in the long run could have taken his job from him had they both stayed in Atlanta. Uh, but certainly I think, you know, it, it just, I think it just again speaks to, you know, how much Dansby Swanson wanted to help a guy who was only on the same path that he was had been on himself. Yeah. And there's a lot to say as far as that goes. And it says a lot about Dansby Swanson again. And while the Braves are going to be focused on Vaughn Grissom and focused on shortstop, and we are going to talk a little bit more about that later, I wanted to hear, and we did get to hear from a brand new Brave, and that's Sean Murphy. This is the guy who's going to be sharing time behind the plate with Travis Darno. And once again, as you look at last year and really the last few years, this has been one of, I think, the low-key pieces that really has fed the Braves' success, and that is the kind of production, Corey, that they get from their catching unit. One of the best in all of baseball last year, maybe and arguably the best between the offensive component and even the defensive component and handling this staff. And it looks like the Braves are poised to get that kind of production from another dynamic duo this year. Yeah, I think technically, I think the the Blue Jays had them beat out in in terms of war last year. When mm-hmm. you look at what they got from uh, Alejandro Kirk leading that group, but I, this is going to be, I think, without question, the best catching tandem in baseball. When you bring you know Murphy and his Gold Glove resume to the mix, and I think he's just going to be that much better offensively in this lineup. And you know, certainly, you know, we talked before uh, on you know battery power about how the left field situation trickles into the the DH conversation. The same thing with these two, you got to find a way for one of these two guys to, to be in that lineup uh, and potentially both those bats as much as possible. So this is going to be a really special group. I mean, even if you think about the days of Tyler flowers and Kurt Suzuki and then Kurt Suzuki and Brian, uh, Brian, you know, uh, Brian McCann with Tyler flowers and then mm-hmm. AJ Darno, yeah, it, it's just it's never been to the point where you have a, a guy at you know the the end of his career that uh, that Sean Murphy's on, and you know the potential that he has, and a guy who's still producing at the level that Travis Darno is. So I think this really has a chance to be a very special tandem. Yeah, it's going to add a lot, I think, offensively to the Braves. But of course, as you mentioned, when you bring over Sean Murphy, there's all the things that he does behind the plate, and his old teammate in Oakland, Matt. Olsen was asked a little bit about, you know, what's it like playing with Sean Murphy? Can you tell us something that really kind of, uh, you know, reminds you or, or that you think about that springs to mind when you think about Sean Murphy? And he told this great story. And it was, of course, you know, just kind of about being wise beyond his years. And that, I think, is kind of something that Sean Murphy is going to bring to the table this year. And one of the reasons the Braves were happy to sign him to a long-term extension. And when we did talk to Olsen, and I feel like we talked to a lot of different guys and asked a lot of different questions about these rules changes that will go into place in 2023. But banning the shift is at the top of the list, I think, that everybody's looking to see what kind of effect is that going to have on certain hitters. And I think Matt Olson's eyes kind of lit up when he you know, was once again asked about the shift just going away. And even if he's not going to change everything about his approach at the plate, he is going to be more than excited to see a ground ball make it through the right side a little bit more than it has perhaps at any point in his career. 
I mean, that's huge, right? And I think, you know, there's so many different guys that you think are going to have, you know, different impacts on them. I, I think about Max Fried as a guy who's a, you know, who's a ground ball pitcher. What is that going to mean for him in terms of people maybe no longer being in those spots, you know, that he would have had a defender at before. But I think from an offensive standpoint, I don't know that there's a guy on this roster who feels like he's going to be, uh, you know, maybe in position to benefit from this quite the, the way that Matt Olson is. So I think this can be fascinating. I, obviously, we, we really don't know what it's going to be like until it gets going. And, you know, we asked Brian Snicker about, you know, at what point do you kind of start, you know, noodling over what these rule changes are going to mean to stuff? You know, he said they're going to obviously jump right into it as soon as spring gets started. Yeah. But until there's actually games being played, I really don't know how we're going to see it play out. You know, he said, is there going to be, you know, issue? He talked to Walt Weiss about this. Are they going to have the ability, you know, how quickly as soon after a pitch is delivered, can they get into those positions? And what kind of time frame are there, you know, in terms of limiting the positioning? And, and I know we know it in terms of like proximity, but, you know, what about time in terms of when they can get to those spots? So I think there's just so many different variables. But again, a long way to say, I think Olsen stands to benefit without question as a guy, you know, we know has tons of pull power. Yeah, and that could mean what 15, 20, perhaps more base hits. I think that was one of the, one of the research pieces I saw of looking at what Matt Olson lost. Thanks to the shift last year. It doesn't mean that he's going to be a carbon copy of his 2022 season every year, because I think he would have liked to have done quite a few carbon copies of that 2021 year, because it was the best of his career. However, it is the tendency. And for a lot of left-handed hitters, they have had to work against the shift for a very long time. And I think that Matt Olson, among others, is going to be pleased to have a few more base hits fall in. But as you brought up immediately, you know, this is something that is also not going to be something that the Braves can use. It's not at their disposal anymore. So their pitchers are also going to have to deal with balls that might have found a fielder before falling, finding some green, rolling for a while, and perhaps bringing some runs across. Either way, we'll find out as we get into spring training, and more importantly, as the season starts to unfold and all 30 teams start to figure out the best ways to adapt to these rules changes, and perhaps, as we all know, the ways to go up all the way to the line as far as you can go to get whatever advantage that you can in terms of defensive shifts, because it's going to look a lot different than it has at any point in the recent future or recent past of baseball. So, as we look at the Braves rotation, I know there's been a lot of conversation about the possibility of going out and maybe adding a front of the rotation starter over the course of the winter. That, of course, didn't happen. But this is still a rotation that has, A, a lot of talent and some interesting stories. And when we talked to Kyle Wright about following up his breakout campaign of last year, he kind of, to me anyway, still falls under the it's hard enough to get here and now it's even harder to find ways to stay here. And he's under that banner despite leading the majors in wins last year because now he has to follow up that kind of a season. And I think that despite that success, it sounded like Kyle Wright is really not going to let up in how he prepares for this season and going out there and trying to have the best year possible, even if he's already done it before. It's not about being the breakout candidate anymore. Now it's about being able to replicate that success. Yeah, and I think, too, for him, I mean, going into the, this spring training knowing that he is going to have a spot in that yeah. rotation i think is a major piece of, the, of it for him too but um yeah i mean obviously he was fantastic last year you know it just uh, it, it's it's incredible to think about you know the fact that uh, and i we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to it on battery power and our max freed episode but the mm -hmm. fact that max freed ends up leading this team in war but we're talking more about spencer strider <laughs> and we're talking more about kyle wright in terms of you know what ended up being a, a, a career season for freed in terms of his war just because what they got from strider and what they got from kyle wright was just so spectacular and i think you know both accounts you know just such a surprise um i i'm really fascinated to see how kyle wright handles this because now there's a much bigger book on him 
competitive, obviously, but you know, the expectations are higher now when you're going mm -hmm. into the, into the, into the spring training, knowing that you're one of the four guys that there's no longer a question about, does he have a rotation spot? What's he going to do with it? Becomes a completely different conversation. It really does. And this rotation is because you look at Max Fried, and it does every once in a while, or more than once in a while, kind of get lost or take a back seat. To you mentioned Kyle Wright winning 21 games and really being a, a breakout candidate. Spencer Strider put together a season that was both historic significantly and in a lot of years where they're not a Michael Harris out there might have been the rookie of the year. And then you got Max Fried, runner-up in the Cy Young voting, who also had a career year. All of that was able to kind of dwarf the fact that Charlie Morton had taken a step back and wasn't able to have the kind of season that he was accustomed to have, uh, having and not the kind of season that he had in 2021. But there is a rotation battle. We do know that, Corey. And that battle for the fifth spot is between two very good friends, as it turns out, Mike Soroka and Ian Anderson. I know Bryce Elder will be in this mix as well, and there may be some others. We'll see if uh, there are some different names that get thrown in there, at least vying for it, and might find a, a way onto the staff. And we know, as we've seen year after year after year, there aren't too many teams that are going to make it through the whole season with just five starters. So go ahead and buckle in and plan to have a few different names called before we get to the end of the line here. Uh, but, Corey, I thought you asked Soroka a pretty good question about competing for that fifth spot. You know, the I, I guess rivalry is not there because both of these guys, they really care about one another. So this is going to be a very interesting positional battle. Yeah, and I, I didn't know that I was getting us down the road of like some brave sitcom where we find out that, you know, Mike Soroka and Ian Anderson live together uh, with Ian Anderson's girlfriend during the spring because Anderson has a place down there. But that's the makeup of it now. So they're going to be living together again. So each day they're going to go to the field. They're going to battle it out for the same spot. And then they're going to go back and stay at the same place together in the evening. So I think it's, I mean, I if that's not the potential for a fantastic reality show uh, that this franchise needs to jump on or Valley Sports needs mm -hmm. to jump on, somebody needs to, to take advantage of this. Uh, but, man, it's going to be great. We obviously know what these two guys with the high end, what the potential is of both of them. Obviously, you have a guy who was the uh, National League Rookie of the Year runner-up. Mm -hmm. You have a guy who had a fantastic start to his postseason career in Ian Anderson, and we know what he's capable of. Uh, I don't know that those are two names that a few years ago you would have even considered. The fact that you're talking about them battling it out for a final rotation spot, at least that opening day rotation spot. But this is going to be great, man. This is going to be, I think, across baseball, one of the best stories of the spring, just because of what these both the, their stories. You know, the fact that Anderson was so good and it fell apart for him a year ago. You know, he's obviously got to develop the arsenal a little bit mm -hmm. more. And obviously, everybody uh, around baseball is pulling for Mike Soroka to get back and be anywhere close to what he was before. So I think this is just going to be an absolute blast to watch from afar. Yeah, it will be. And I guess if they're putting together the story, you know, they did those movie posters last year. Maybe they move on to sitcoms and the Ian Anderson and Mike <laughs> Soroka. They get some version of Three's Company. I don't know for how they're set like up to, to live through the spring and at least to compete with one another. But knowing that they each want the best for each other, too. I mean, that that's a component. It may sound like lip service, but, you know, both of these guys, they want to have success, but they also want to see the other guys succeed. And it's fun that their friendship developed, despite the fact that Soroka pointed out, well, we didn't play together in the minors, so we really yeah. met, you know, in spring training camp, I guess they would have crossed paths. But they've really met over the last couple of years when Soroka has been just trying to work his way back and get back into that Braves rotation. And Ian Anderson was an answer to a very important question that the Braves had in 2020 and in 2021, who can come up for the minors and help us out with the absence of Mike Soroka. So a lot of different layers to this story, but Corey, I don't know if we can overstate how much a healthy Mike Soroka would mean to this club in so many different ways, but we'll start with on the mound based on the potential that he showed before the injuries. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we forget sometimes because it has been so long just how good he was. I mean, you go back to that 2019 season, he was a four-war pitcher, a 2.68 ERA. I mean, he was just looked like the absolute future of this rotation. And the fact that, you know, we're talking about him being in this position. But I think it just, I mean, it just lends to that conversation of how good this rotation could be if either one of those two guys are, you know, anywhere close to the height of the way we've seen him in the past. I mean, I don't really, I mean, They've made a lot of changes in Texas. You know, obviously Houston's still going to be good. Uh, the, the Mets are going to have a very good rotation. I just don't know if Soroka or Anderson is what close to what we've seen in the past. This really does have the potential to be the best rotation in baseball if you can get some of that uh, out of that fifth spot from either one of those guys. Yeah, and you look at, and I don't want to jump the gun here because I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point, but the Zips projections that came out that we saw, you know, populating yeah. Twitter. I mean, you look at where the Braves are projected. It's not just like a good team or a solid team. They're projected to be one of the best teams in baseball, if not right up there at the top. So, you know, projections are just that. And a lot of years we've come in and said, can you believe they're projecting the Braves to win 84, 85 games? They must not have watched this team last year. Well, I'm going to tell you, they must have watched the team last year that won 101 games and somehow managed to erase a 10-and-a-half game deficit in a division and come back and win their fifth in a row. Well, there are going to be a lot of eyes on the Braves, not just for what they did in 2021, but for the fact that the standard of excellence around here has changed quite a bit over the course of this division title run in the last five years. Now, another big duo for the Braves, beyond just the Soroka and Anderson and the sitcom possibilities there, that, of course, is the buddy tandem of Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies. And both of these guys, they look healthy and they sound healthy and they sound ready for a big year. Albies said he would have been ready to roll in the NLCS after that broken finger sidelined him right after his return from a broken foot. That, Corey, though, obviously didn't happen because the Braves had their NLDS exit and the Phillies rode all the way into the World Series while the Braves were sitting at home and watching this year. So that's a motivation and a fire that I'm sure is burning in both Ozzie Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr. and the entire rest of the Braves club. Uh, but Albies also said he expects Acuna to be better than he was in 2019. I don't know if anybody needs a reminder, but he was nearly a six-war player, was Acuna, and just missed a 40-40 season. So, Corey, I think that that would be just fine with Braves fans. Yeah, I mean, wow. Uh, I mean, if he's rolling at that level, I mean, you're you're talking about it, it, a you know a real legit MVP yep. candidate, and I think and that doesn't even what is Austin Riley going to be? I mean, this team mm -hmm. really has the potential to just be absolutely fantastic. And um, Ozzy Albies, you know, think about this: he's now the longest tenured player on this roster. Wow. He beat Max. He beat Max Free by what was it? Seven days with their major league debuts in 2017. He's now the longest tenured player on this roster. That's a guy you got to look toward. I know he's not always a guy you think of as being being a leader, but I think this is a guy that has the potential to do that. Um, certainly, uh, chief on his uh, you know his list for 2023 is just staying healthy uh, and getting back to normal on the on the field after you know the oddity of his 2022 season. But man. It, Think about how good that offense was mm -hmm. last year. And the fact that you had those two, uh, Acuna not at his level, nope. Albies gone for most of the season, yep. down production and left field, and it was still a top five offense in all of uh, the National League. So I was going to ask Brian Snicker about that, but I didn't end up getting that question in with him. But just knowing the potential of what they can do uh, based off what didn't happen a year ago is, is honestly, and, and you think about being a better catcher, mm -hmm. it's just scary, I think, how good this offense has the potential to be. Yeah, it's tantalizing because you know Ronald Acuna Jr. did not have the season that many expected, and I'm sure that he expected to have in 2022. I think he ran into some residual issues with that knee. 
I think that you know DHing was not something he particularly enjoyed. In fact, he went ahead and said, "Hey, I'm looking forward to not DHing this year." And the Braves are a better team when he's in right field. There's just no two ways about that. He's a dynamic player that can change the game on just about every possible level. And I know Ozzy was looking at 2019 and saying, "Oh, I expect him to be better than that year." That 2021 season that Ronald was putting together before the knee injury had him, you know, really just operating at a higher level than he did even in 2019 when he was nearly a six-war player and had, at least at this point, his career year. So it's crazy to see that. And you brought up Ozzy Albies, the longest-tenured Atlanta Brave. This, of course, in terms of service time, just ahead of Max Freed. Ozzy Albies just turned 26 years old, so that I find to be a quirky (laughs) and crazy little baseball statistic uh, that we can you know, mull over as we get into spring training. There are older players on the roster, but for Ozzy, nobody's been around a Braves uniform longer than he has on this current run. Now, Acuna really seemed rejuvenated, Corey. All eyes are always going to be on him. As I just mentioned, he's just such an impact player. No World Baseball Classic for him, which may be disappointing, I'm sure, for Ronald. Hard to blame anybody, though, for wanting to see him see him get healthy and be healthy over the course of the 162-game season to get to a World Series because Ronald had to sit and watch the last time the Braves were there. Yeah, I mean, I know for a lot of these guys, this is, you know, this is one of the rare opportunities that they get to go and represent their country and do all that. So I can understand him wanting to do that. But on the flip side of it, you completely get the Braves, you know, after you went through what you did last year from him and watching him, you know, have to fight through that season and never really be 100% the player that everyone was accustomed to seeing. You completely understand why the Braves, you know, would not want Acuna suiting up for Venezuela. But um, next time around, right? I mean, just you, you focus on this for now. I mean, just like, you know, when we talk about the contract stuff with him, he's going to get another opportunity. He's going to get another opportunity right. to get paid. He's going to get another opportunity to play for Venezuela. So um, get healthy and be that top five player in all of baseball in 2023 that everyone knows he has the potential to be. Yeah, and he was able to get some action in in Venezuela over the course of the winter. That, of course, drew a lot of eyeballs as well, and we'll just kind of leave it at that. But I think everybody's going to be focused on the return of Ronald Acuna Jr., the player that we saw before that knee injury, that guy coming back in 2023 and really reestablishing himself as the cream of the crop amongst National League outfielders because I do believe he has the capability of doing that. He's just that good. Now, I saved this ever-present story for last because we've been talking about it all winter, but we know when spring training comes, it's going to be one of the main focal points for the Atlanta Braves, and that, of course, is Vaughn Grissom vying to become the Braves' starting shortstop. Now, this has been a very good winter for Vaughn in terms of getting the work in. Yeah, getting to the major leagues certainly helps out, having some experience, knowing what it's like to play at the highest level, but now getting to move over to shortstop, but also having to kind of be the guy because the one who was there for the last six, seven years is now wearing a Chicago Cubs uniform. Dansby Swanson leaving in this winter was just another of the big stories for this club and something that has Braves fans, you know, really with their eyes all on the shortstop situation. Before we hear from Vaughn Grissom from Braves Fan Fest, I thought it was great to catch up with Ron Washington. He is the man who has been working with Vaughn Grissom one-on-one down in New Orleans. They've had two sessions already. There'll be one more before the winter is out. But here's Ron Washington from Braves Fan Fest on what he has seen thus far from Vaughn Grissom and what he expects as the shortstop position changes hands in 2023. I know you spent a lot of time this winter really working with Vaughn Grissom, and a lot of that has kind of, I think, filtered through with Alex Antopoulos, with Brian Snitker. But, of course, you're the guy who's been out there working with him with your eyes on him. What have you seen from Vaughn this winter that has you so excited? Growth. I see things that I didn't see earlier. Um, I see he's got aptitude. Um, You know, he he really, really, really wants it. And he's been putting in the time to deserve it. I think the fans got to just be patient. 
Now, he came up and played second base, so he was out of position. He is a natural shortstop. How would you describe what he came to the table with, what he was working with, and how you were able to maybe help him elevate or polish those skills? Well, he's 20 years old, so that's what I'm doing. I'm developing. And there's a lot about the game of baseball on the defensive end that he has to learn. But he has the skill set to do that. Um, second base, he came up, you know, um, he's trying to survive. I mean, he only played two years of baseball, so he was up here trying to survive. And these past uh, weeks that uh, he's come down to New Orleans and we've been working, um, he's got a skill set that I feel uh, he can be a major league shortstop. Now, will that happen overnight? Uh, it didn't happen overnight with Dansby. Right. Uh, it didn't happen overnight with Marcus Simeon. It didn't happen overnight with Miguel Tejada. It didn't happen overnight with Elvis Andrews. Right. And all those names I just named are pretty good players. Very much so. so uh, but uh, I like the growth and I like the attitude. I like the commitment to the work ethic. And um, he will be a different looking guy than he was that the fans saw in uh, 22. This is a great infield that's going to be together, I think, for a long time between Matt and Ozzie and Austin all having long-term contracts, Vaughn being so young. But Dansby Swanson's departure, how much does that change kind of the dynamic of not just the infield but the overall team when players like that who have meant a lot to a club do leave for the personality, I guess, of that team? Well, he was a leader, and he was someone that everyone in that clubhouse looked up to. But organizations make transitions. You know, we couldn't hold Dansby here, so we got to transition to another guy at shortstop, and we're going to do that. And our mindset as far as being successful is not going to change no matter who's out there because whoever we put out there, they will do a good enough job for us to be consistent, and that's all we want. All right, Ron Washington, thank you so much. You See you in spring training. You bet. That is the great infield guru and third base coach of the Atlanta Braves, Ron Washington, who I caught up with at FanFest. But Vaughn Grissom also took to the dais to answer some questions from the media and talking about the kind of work he's been doing with Wash throughout the winter. I think it's changed my game a lot the detail he really just takes care of all the details and um just polishing you know just polishing up it's perfect ron washington's approach can be described as methodical so when you work with him on an everyday basis you're going to be able to tell where you started maybe where you are and where you want to get to and von grissom has already taken an inventory of all of those things i think uh before i used to when i didn't have him in my ear i used to use a little bit of my like ability what people will call it you know and um Instead of trying to make great plays and uh, instead of like when you make a great play, just finish it. Maybe like with a good throw, you know what I'm saying? Just taking that extra time and it'll actually be a little bit quicker at the end of the day. But um, just taking a little extra time and just finishing some plays out instead of trying to think about first or something like that, you know, along those lines. When you've got access to somebody who's played such an integral role in taking major league players and molding them into better defensive players, sometimes teaching them brand new positions, you really, as they say, get to sit under the learning tree. But if you're working with Ron Washington, you're not going to be doing too much sitting around. Vaughn Grissom described what the average day is like working with Wash on his fielding skills. So there's a lot of working hard. But yeah, there's also, I ask a ton of questions. And he's so insightful. And he knows so much about the game. He's been around so long. And just life in general. Where I can ask him any single question I want. you know, And he has a great answer for me. And an insightful answer for me. And... uh that is one of the most valuable pieces probably in my life right now, to be able to bounce stuff off of him and just hear him out. One thing Von Grissom has going for him as he moves back over to his natural position of shortstop as a big leaguer is that, well, he got to be a big leaguer in 2022. Yes, he was playing out of position, as I talked about with Ron Washington, and at second base, he was able to do more than enough to have the Braves feel that he could handle an everyday job in the big leagues. 
That experience is something Von Grissom believes is going to come in handy as he comes to spring training looking to win that starting shortstop job. Yeah, it was uh, an incredible experience. Um, I'm blessed to be able to have that experience going into this year, you know, potentially being trying out for short. And um, just to have that somewhat comfortability, you know, it's just what a lot of it is. It's just being comfortable wherever a situation is at. So um, it was great, yeah. Of course, there's going to be a lot of comparisons and a lot of discussions about Dansby Swanson as he moves on to the Chicago Cubs and Vaughn Grissom vies to become the Braves' starting shortstop. It's always an adjustment when a big piece of your lineup and a big piece of your team moves on to somewhere else. And you probably won't be surprised to know that as Vaughn Grissom was getting himself adjusted to the major leagues, Dansby Swanson was somebody that he was watching very closely. He's one of the best role models that you could ask for in a teammate. And, um... I've asked him, and we still talk to this day, and so I'm still be picking his brain. So um, he's great. It was incredible to watch him. All the best players are always watching. They're always plugged into the game. They're always looking to learn from those around them and, of course, those who have come before them. But if you're looking for Vaughn Grissom's real, I think, focus on 2023 and beyond, it is the here, the now, and the opportunity that he has. And he's got a great mindset coming to spring training as he focuses on taking his game to the next level. The only thing I can do for you guys is just play my game. And if you guys like it, I'm sure I'll hear about it. If you guys don't, I'm sure I'll hear about it. So, like, to me, it doesn't matter either way because I'm just going to go play my game. And I'm not trying to go fill nobody's shoes or do anything different. I'm just going to go play Von Grissom's ball. we got to have confidence in your game. And if that confidence every once in a while has you talking in third person, I think that's okay as well. But i got to say, it was really great to hear from Von Grissom, yes. It's going to be great to see him in a few weeks getting out there on the field and really putting into practice what exactly he's learned with Ron Washington. He's got one more of those sessions in New Orleans before he heads down to Northport with the club for spring training. But it was great to talk to Wash about how he's bringing Vaughn Grissom along and what he is seeing and what he has seen already that has him excited about what this kid can do. Let's just go ahead and put it this way, Corey. What we saw last year with Vaughn Grissom, it was the flashes of the potential that this guy has and the talent that this guy has. Now can he turn it into being a consistent everyday big leaguer and can he take over that job at shortstop? Those are the questions we're asking. While there will be questions all the way up and until he gets on the field and even after he's on the field to see if he can hold on to it, it was really impressive to hear him talk about wanting to earn that opportunity, coming to camp, playing for that chance, and to hear the words of Ozzie Albies, Michael Harris, Austin Riley, Brian Snitker, Ron Washington, whoever it is, there's a lot of confidence in what Grissom brings to the table to make a long story short. And I think they all watched him last year come up and be productive out of position. And I think that's the big thing, too. Obviously, he made the league made adjustments to him. He didn't quite make those adjustments down the stretch and was not nearly as good offensively as he was when he burst onto the scene. But I think he's learned from that. And, and I think that's going to be the, of the benefit of almost, you know, think about, I keep going back to the Jeremy Pena thing in Houston when I think about, you know, him stepping into Dansby Swanson's role. Jeremy Pena didn't get a bunch of ABs the year before like Von Grissom did. That's going to be, I think, the separating factor here. Mm-hmm. Not that he's going to be Pena in 2023, but the fact that he's not coming up and trying to figure out how to operate in the big leagues in his first season trying to be a starting shortstop for this team. I think that is the major key there too. And I thought it was interesting when Grissom was asked what the biggest thing was that Washington had him focusing on, and it was to slow down. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. You know, that he said that he just was going too fast. And when you try to go too fast, you're not making the play the appropriate way. And he just, you know, asking him to do that, I thought was really interesting. And certainly he's got, you know, the master when it comes to getting guys in the infield with the most out of them. He's got a long track record of doing it. And, Obviously, everyone's saying the right things when it comes to Grissom in this position. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see how he handles it. But, man, uh, 
I think last year, what you saw, the what he has the ability to do at the plate, uh, we'll see how that translates when he's playing back in the position where he wants to be when it comes to being on the field. Yeah, and that's one of the many and probably the biggest place that the Braves fans are going to be looking as they want answers in spring training. You look at across it, the Zips projections that came out, and you have to feel good about how this team is constructed, maybe better than you really were given a credit for when you were just thinking about, okay, well, left field is not settled. Shortstop, we got questions there. DH, we got some questions. Who's going to be the fifth starter? Well, every club is coming to spring training with questions, Corey. The Braves are no different, but if you look at across the roster construction of every team in both leagues, I think a lot of teams would love to be able to trade places with the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, and I look going off those Zips projections, I mean, I, I look at what they have in left field where they, they're just projecting a 0.6 F4 collectively out of that group. I can't imagine Eddie Rosario being anywhere close to what he was a year ago when he was battling all those issues. And I think if he's a hot hand, he's going to get the brunt of those ABs in that position. I can't see them being nearly that low. They've got Grissom and Orlando Arcia uh, teaming for a 2-2-F4 shortstop. But everywhere else, they are just ridiculous. So uh, those two spots uh, just pump up just a little bit. I mean, you're talking about a team that's going to you know, be making a run at 100-plus wins with ease. Yeah, and I think you're looking at, what, three to five wins apiece in that range, somewhere in between in center field and right field at first base, at yep. second base, at third base, at catcher, not to mention what the rotation is capable of and the bullpen, while those wars will not be climbing into the three to five range because relief pitchers don't typically get there, you've still got a lot of very capable arms to close things down. So it's a very well-rounded team, very well-constructed team are there ways to make it better absolutely will you need some guys to step up and to produce in order to get this thing exactly where you want it to get absolutely but that is something that works out over the course of 162 and i still think even if the braves didn't spend a whole bunch of free agent dollars over the course of the offseason they retain the right to make their club better in season and they've done that just about every single year so and that's kind of a snapshot of everything that was going on at braves fan fest it was very busy we got to hear from a lot of different atlanta braves hope you enjoyed that little bit of insight into what was a very fun event and one i look forward to each and every year because it just lets us know Corey, we're that much closer to spring training pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting and just what about two and a half less than three weeks now that's pretty exciting in and of itself yeah and you didn't even get a dispenser strider in the number change maybe the biggest piece of single news that came out of this thing but hey you well, know it was a lot like i said there was a lot to digest for those of us who discovered the number change in the middle of november and called attention <laughs> to it i didn't realize that it was going to be that much of a phenomenon but when he did walk into that room with that number 99 on it was the first time that people laid eyes on him and the first time that he really spoke you know big and in public and in front of a bunch of people about just why he changed it to number 99 and I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and that's going to sell a lot of jerseys. I have a feeling over the next, what, six or yes. seven years that Spencer Strider signed for. It's just one of the little fun aspects, a nod to one of the all-time great baseball movies, and hopefully for Spencer Strider, his career will continue to play out like a movie because the first act was a pretty darn good one in 2022. Now let's talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame, which I know has a lot of different acts for a lot of different players, and not everybody enjoys these across the board. Scott Rowland, though, was elected by the baseball writers on Tuesday, just clearing that 75% threshold. So congratulations to him, the former Philly and Cardinal, and I believe Blue Jays, Cincinnati Red. Uh, he makes it into the Hall of Fame. There aren't that many third basemen in there, surprisingly, when you look at the positions across baseball. Mm -hmm. So uh, kind of difficult as a primary third baseman to get in. I think a lot of people might kind of shortchange Roland or may not have thought, you know, automatic Hall of Famer when they watched him. But there was a steady brilliance, particularly on the field, that helped his case immensely. And he was a good offensive player. Todd Helton, meanwhile, the Rockies legend, fell 11 votes shy. I think he should make it in next year. 
And then you look at some of the former Braves who did fall short, but some big gains, Corey, across the board in voting percentage. Billy Wagner in his eighth year on the ballot, up to 68.1%. That's a 17% jump over 2022. And again, two more tries for Wagner. Andrew Jones, meanwhile, up to 58.1%, and that's a 17% jump for him over 2022. He was in his sixth year on the ballot, so he has, what, four more tries. Then you got Gary Sheffield in his ninth year on the ballot, so next year the last one for him, up to 55%, almost a 15% jump for him. Wagner and Jones making that great progress, still have time to clear that hurdle. I think both of them are going to do that. Far from a given, though, that Sheffield's going to be able to make a 20-point jump in his 10th and final year on the ballot in 2024, though. Yeah, I think it feels like get this Sheffield thing's just not going to happen, right? Obviously, you have one of the few guys who has admitted to performance-enhancing drugs, whether or not you know he ultimately, you know, uh, the, the the convoluted story of everything with him and Barry Bonds and not knowing that he took stuff, the fact that he did admit to it, uh, I think is going to ultimately be what ends up keeping him out. But a couple of thoughts with the Roland thing here: he got he was beat it by six votes, right? That's what got him over that seventy-five percentile uh, was six votes. Think about how we've talked many times before about people turning in blank ballots. Yep. I think the fact that you talk about six votes being the deciding factor in rolling getting into Cooperstown just shows just how important this whole process is and how seriously you have to take it if you're going to be a part of this thing because it can be that narrow uh, in terms of these guys getting in. So, you know, if anybody with a vote is listening to us, please take this thing with a little bit more seriousness than turning it into something blank because I think this shows just how crucial uh, every single vote can be to this process. And in terms of the Braves, I mean, yeah. you got to feel like Billy Wagner, this is going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. I think it feels like next year he's going to get in. And then if you're Francisco Rodriguez, you know, who's what, 10% of the vote who has more saves than him, he's got to feel like this is just to his benefit too because I think if Wagner gets in and K-Rod feels like he could get in then down the line, it's getting a little bit closer with Andrew Jones, too, so we may be talking about him in this conversation as well. But yeah. I did not think Scott Rowland was going to be joining this class. I thought it was going to be Fred McGriff alone. But interesting little thought process here. You got two guys going into this. Neither one of them may have a logo on their hat, right? Both of them in McGriff and Rowland did so much for multiple franchises. Uh, we may not have either one of them uh, having a plaque that has a team logo on it. Yeah, I'll be interested. And obviously, the players will be able to state their preference. And the Hall makes that decision since I believe it was Dave Winfield decided to sell to the highest bidder his Hall of Fame hat. And that changed that whole <laughs> dynamic. But be that as it may, these are both guys that I think were deserving. And for McGriff, clearly it had to go to the Eras Committee, and he finally got in, and that was overdue. And for Scott Rowland, it was like this steady climb to get himself through that crowded ballot and get into Cooperstown. I believe he debuted the same year as Andrew Jones did, and that was Chipper Jones' first year. That was 2018. Think about Andrew, who's really the focal point for the Braves here, because I know Billy Wagner, a a lot of people thought a lot of him, but the bulk of his career was spent in a lot of other cities, particularly Houston, Philadelphia, with the New York Mets as well. He was in different uh, on different clubs for longer than he was with the Braves to close out his career. So when you look at Andrew, I think everybody kind of gravitates toward him. The defensive dominance, the 400 plus home runs, they make a strong case. His rapid decline seems to be the thing that people get stuck on, like the real stumbling block for them. But still, it's amazing for me to see him go from just over 7% the first couple of years, where he was kept on the ballot by 10, 11, 12 votes just to stay on because of how crowded it was, and now closing in on 60% of the vote. There are lots of reasons why, Corey, but the real crux of this seems to be just an appreciation for just how spectacular he is on defense, regardless of what position you talk about. He really revolutionized it in a position, and that, I think, is Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, and I think, too, if we had had the benefit of the metrics that we have now, 
when you think about outs above average, you know, and all that, all that fun stuff, defensive run saved, I think the worth of Andrew Jones would be that much higher, right? Mm-hmm. I think the fact that, you know, he almost made it look so easy. And I think that was the thing that you, know, you could talk about, you know, the comparisons to him and Ozzie Smith and Ozzie Smith making the spectacular all the time. Andrew did it and he made it look easy. Yeah. And I think that was the thing that, that was ultimately like, you maybe sometimes the greatness got lost just because, you know, the, the effort level didn't look like it was that high because he was just always in the right place at the right time. Yeah, and when you do look at Andrew's overall dominance, yes, there was something about, I mean, he made the difficult plays look easy. He made the impossible look possible. I mean, plays that yeah. you just don't expect. I, mean, I tweeted out a few of them on Hall of Fame Day just leading up to it because he could get the balls in either gap. He could go back to the wall. He played so shallow, but you just never felt like there was a ball that was hit and that stayed in the ballpark that he did not have a chance to get to. And that, I think, just underscores, defensively speaking, how dominant he was. And yeah, maybe if we were talking about a lot of the stats for Andrew Jones throughout the course of his career, you wouldn't be trying to kind of play catch up with the, hey, let's look at these metrics and really now understand how great Andrew Jones was. But in addition to that, I always look at the decline at the end of his career. Yes, it fell off, and that is what it is, but his dominant run with the 10 gold gloves, with the 400-plus home runs, and keeping in mind, Corey, that he came up at 19 years old. If Andrew Jones came up at 23 or 24 and had his 10 great years from the middle of his 20s to the middle of his 30s, and then just kind of fell off in his late 30s, do you think he'd be looked at the same? Because I really feel like people are kind of getting caught up in the optics of his career did fall off. And and again, I'm not debating that he wasn't as productive in the last, what, five or six years as he was over the first nine or 10 years. But I do think that the age might play a different role in exactly how that's framed, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you even want to look at the peak from him, 97 to 2007, he had as high as a 7.9 F4, no lower than 3.3, right? Mm-hmm. So 64.2 worth of war in that span. That was third among all players, trails only Bonds and, Al- and Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> then you go from 2008 until 2012, and he never had an F4 higher than 1.5, totaled 2.7, and that was 110th among outfielders in that period. I mean, it's it's two completely different players, but the peak was so spectacular, and I think that to me is why I, I just don't understand it, right? I mean, you look at during that time period, he was better than Chipper Jones, Derek Jeter, Albert Pujols, Vladimir Guerrero, Pudge Rodriguez. I mean, yeah. Bonds was the only player in, in the outfield category that was better than him. I mean, it's, I just, I think we're going to be having the conversation about him being there very soon. And if it's not done by the writers, we know the Eric Committee is going to get this thing done. Yeah, I believe they will. And given the fact that Andrew has made such incredible gains, especially over the last three years alone, then to pick up 17 more percent this year to be knocking on the door of 60%, we've seen some of these other guys make these jumps. I mean, can yeah. he get another 17% jump? That's what we're asking for. And that, he has proven, can happen in one year. But he's got four more tries on this ballot through his first six to go from 7% to nearly 60% would tell you that with four more years to work with, he doesn't just become a Hall of Famer. We know that he's already got the Hall of Fame resume there. It's just the recognition and the light maybe that needed to be shined on just exactly how great, defensively speaking, how dominant this guy was. Then you throw in the offense. I mean, I hate to take away anything from Ozzie Smith because I think he's a worthy Hall of Famer, and this is apples and oranges, but... Man, if Ozzie Smith was getting in on his defensive accolades alone, basically, it's a pretty impressive thing to see Andrew Jones be able to have defensive accolades 
and go out there and slug 50 home runs in a season and hit over 400 in his career. He's just a very special player, even if he wasn't able to maintain that and age as gracefully as a lot of Hall of Famers typically do or that you'd like to see for somebody who is one of the best of all time. Well, think about the Omar Vizquel thing, right? He's got 11 gold gloves. He played forever, and he's not. I mean, he's having a, a horrendous time getting enough uh, enough love here to get his his way in there. I mean, he's sitting at what nineteen percent now. I mean, yeah. it's. I think the argument that you know, it, guys getting in slowly on solely on defense. It's a. It's. I think the Ozzy was Ozzy Smith was beloved. Omar yeah. Vizquel was not beloved, and I think no. that was the that was the factor, the tipping point, right? Otherwise, if you're having that same conversation, Omar Vizquel would have been in a long time ago too. But um, we're going to be having the Andrew Jones uh, breakdown of him being in the Hall very, very soon, and maybe if it happens within the next, uh, you know, maybe that the end of that ten year opportunity he has on the ballot, maybe we're talking about his son Drew Jones being in the majors at that point, which would make it an even cooler story, a la the Guerreros. But it's it's happening for Andrew Jones. That feels like a reality. Yeah, it would be pretty incredible. But that will bring us to the. Uh, end of our Hall of Fame discussion and the end of another exciting edition of From the Diamond. Corey, as always, I appreciate your time and I look forward to chatting with you again soon and hopefully you're not still transcribing from last weekend because I think at this point all the news is out and we're just excited about hearing these guys get down to spring training and let us know that they're in the best shape of their life. Yeah, hey, those worn down hands, man. You earn them transcribing all that stuff. There you go. Appreciate it as always. Talk to you soon. All right, man. Well, that'll wrap things up for this episode of From the Diamond. As always, I appreciate you making us part of your baseball podcast regimen. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your favorite podcast. Just search for From the Diamond. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Grant McCauley. He is at Corey J. McCartney. Find the show at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end. On Instagram, at Grant McCauley and at From the Diamond. You can also like the show on Facebook. And if you need links to all of those things, head over to FromTheDiamond.com and you'll find it there. Well, with that said, it brings us to the end of this episode, and we are just counting down the days until spring training. As Braves pitchers and catchers get set to report on February the 15th, I will be down there in Northport. I'm going to spend about a week around the team and look to bring you lots of interviews and content and looks as the Braves get their 2023 campaign started. We'll also get From the Diamond started on 92.9 The Game. You can find the show live on Sunday evenings. That'll get started on February the 26th. Really excited to get back on the airwaves and bring you the live version of this show each and every week throughout the season. In the meantime, I'll be getting you set for spring training with some player-specific preview episodes, so keep a lookout for that. Check your podcast feed. They'll be coming at you before you know it. That'll wrap it up for this week, and until next time, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.